Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Buffalo Shots Podcast. Hello again and welcome to another Horror Shots podcast with me, Casey. This podcast is brought to you by MorbidlyBeautiful.com. If you haven't checked out Morbidly Beautiful yet, do so right now. It's a wonderful resource, a great source of entertainment as well in terms of horror content. They have everything from reviews to top 10 lists to must-see movies and everything from mainstream down to niche indie markets. It's fantastic go check it out. Especially right now, actually. Considering this is Pride Month, go check it out. They have some great content up about what it means to be LGBTQ in the horror genre today. And never more than ever has it been as accepting and as widespread and as awesome as it is right now. So go check out some of the incredible pieces being put up there as we speak right now. Now, this is Pride Month, as I just mentioned, so I will be getting into that in just a little bit. This is going to be a very special episode, a little bit different than the usual, but bear with me while I get through some housekeeping, as per usual. First, if you do ever want to contact me, hit me up at my website at horrorshots.com, or on Twitter at horrorshotspod, Instagram at horrorshotsphotography, Facebook at horrorshots, or Patreon, even if you feel a little generous. Definitely not necessary, but if you want to, hit me up there as well at patreon.com slash horrorshots. Lastly, I can't stress this enough, if you feel the need or feel the want or you feel like you want to give back a little bit in any way, shape, or form, definitely drop a review. I did have a new one this past week, so here's the review that was just left for me on iTunes. This is from Greg the Dallas Stars fan in Canada. I think I know who this is. Good friend of mine. I used to work with him a long time ago. Solid dude. But I didn't put him up to this, I swear. He's just that kind of guy. He puts in a five-star review. Thank you again. I'm really enjoying this podcast because it is not your normal murder mystery slash tech type of broadcast. Casey has really researched each topic and is able to relay this in an amazing way. If you are a fan of horror or just monsters and myth, I recommend this podcast. So thank you very much, Greg. It means a whole lot when I see a new review, and even more so when it's coming from a friend. You can always count on friends to be a little bit more honest, you hope, anyway, than maybe the average stranger. So thank you once again, Greg, for that very kind review. If you do want your review read on the show, just gotta leave one either on Stitcher or iTunes or anywhere I can see it. If it's on some obscure podcatching site, I may not see it, and if you've left one there, I do apologize, but thank you very much nonetheless. I do kind of scour these sites once in a while to find out if, you know, people have left random comments or something anywhere else. I haven't come across any yet, but that's okay. I'm okay with that. So now on to the cast itself. LGBTQ plus stands for the pretty obvious lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual, or queer, or anything encompassing that sort of sexual orientation or sexual freedom or gender fluidity or whatever your thing is. Everybody's got a different feel for who they are. And the moral of the story, I'm going to get to the moral before I get to the story itself, is 
accept everybody for who they are. Discrimination is the worst kind of prejudice. I hate it, don't like seeing it, and I don't think anybody should enjoy seeing it. There's no point in judging somebody based on who they love. And the people I find that do discriminate and that do hate the most are the people who are unloved. They don't know how to experience love and they don't know how to express it. So they get angry when they see somebody who doesn't fit the social norms finding happiness. That's my psychological breakdown of it anyway. So just be kind, be nice, and accepting. Who cares whoever loves whomever? It's not your decision to tell somebody else who or who they can't find attractive, who they have emotions for, feelings for. It doesn't matter. And that goes all the way through history. There have been countless themes, characters, people, historical figures, fact and fiction that encompass this community, the LGBTQ community. So when you say, oh, people aren't meant to do that, or people don't need to do this or shouldn't do this, it's unnatural, just go back hundreds of years, thousands of years to find stories of sexual exploration. I'm going to go over a few today. There are too many to really go over in even two casts, so we're going to go over just a few today in depth, and I'll list as many as I can get through in the next 15 to 20 minutes. Now, LGBT themes have been occurring in mythology and religions for years, and that includes the stories of romantic affection or sexuality between figures of the same sex, or that have features of divine action that result in changes in gender. These myths are forms of LGBT expression, and modern conceptions of sexual and gender have been applied to them as well. Many mythologies ascribe homosexuality and gender fluidity in humans to the action of gods or other supernatural inventions. The presence of LGBT themes in Western mythologies has become the subject of intense study, especially in today's day and age. The application of gender studies and queer theory to non-Western mythic traditions is less developed, but has grown since the end of the 20th century. Myths often include being gay, bisexual, or transgender as a symbol for sacred or mythic experiences. Devdut Patnek writes that myths capture the collective unconsciousness of a people, and that this means they reflect deep-rooted beliefs about variant sexualities that may be at odds with repressive social norms. And I'm going to start with maybe some of the most classic of all these mythologies. When you think mythology, you probably think either Greek or Egyptian. So I'm going to start with some Greek mythology, and there's plenty of themes and characters in these mythologies. Greek mythology features male same-sex love in many of the constituent myths. These myths have been described as being crucially influential on Western LGBT literature, with the original myths being consistently republished and rewritten, and the relationships of the characters serving as icons. In comparison, lesbianism is rarely found in classical myths. Not sure why that is, it's probably due to the writing and storytelling of the time where the male was often the lead or the protagonist in general. Women were often background characters, as unfortunate as that is, it's just how things were thousands of years ago. Don't shoot the messenger. That's all I am here. Just relaying what I've read. Some of the most famous ones include Achilles, who's had a couple homosexual experiences or relationships. Apollo with almost a dozen. Dionysus as well is in there. Hercules, Poseidon, Hermes, Orpheus, Zeus. Lots of them. Lots of the characters have experienced homosexual relationships in some form. 
I'm going to focus on Achilles, and this is for no particular reason. And one relationship in particular, and that is Achilles and Patroclus. The relationship between Achilles and Patroclus is a key element of the stories associated with the Trojan War. Its exact nature has been a subject of dispute in both classical period and modern times. In the Iliad, Homer describes a deep, meaningful relationship between Achilles and Patroclus, where Achilles is tender towards him, but callous and arrogant towards others. Homer never explicitly casts the two as lovers, but they were depicted as lovers in the archaic and classical periods of Greek literature, particularly in the works of, and I apologize for the mispronounced names as per usual, but we have here the works of Asiclus, Aschines, and Plato. Plato's the easy one there. Do apologize if I butchered those. In the Iliad, Achilles and Patroclus are close comrades in the fight against the Trojans. Due to his anger at being dishonored by Agamemnon, Achilles chose not to participate in the battle. As the tide of the war turned against the Achaeans, Patroclus convinces Achilles to let him lead the Myrmidon army into battle wearing Achilles' armor. Patroclus succeeds in beating back the Trojan forces, but is killed in the battle by Hector. News of Patroclus' death reaches Achilles through Anticles, which throws him into deep grief. The earlier steadfast and unbreakable Achilles agonizes, touching Patroclus' dead body, smearing himself with ash and fasting. He laments Patroclus' death, using language very similar to that later used by Andromach of Hector. The rage that follows from Patroclus' death becomes the prime motivation for Achilles to return to the battlefield. He returns to the battle with the sole aim of avenging Patroclus' death by killing Hector, despite a warning that doing so would cost him his life. After defeating Hector, Achilles drags his corpse by the heels behind his chariot. Achilles' strongest interpersonal bond with Patroclus, whom he loves dearly, as Gregory Nagy points out, for Achilles, in his own ascending scale of affection, as dramatized by the entire composition of the Iliad, the highest place must belong to Patroclus. Now, while Homer never explicitly suggests that these two are homosexual lovers, they do share a very interesting and loving bond, and that is without saying. Achilles is usually seen as the more dominant one, who is the strongest and most adept of all warriors in the army, while Patroclus performs more of the traditional quote-unquote feminine duties, such as cooking, cleaning, and grooming the horses, even though he is older than Achilles. But it also does suggest that both characters sleep with women. So what does that mean? Well, as we all know, there is such a thing called bisexuality. So while Achilles may not be straight-out homosexual, he could have bisexual or bicurious tendencies, which is still something very extreme for the type of warrior he was. Traditionally, we think of soldiers and warriors as big, strongly masculine men that don't generally fall in love with other soldiers. So we already have a sexual orientation not seen too frequently, as far back as ancient Greece in the Iliad and other classical views of that time. Now, I'm not going to go into the other details of this. There's a lot of information, and it's not super interesting. It is interesting, but not for podcast broadcasting sakes. But it's very interesting. Look up the relationship between the two if you want more detail or if you want more detail on how Achilles was seen as sexually open and fairly comfortable with said sexuality. 
Next, I have some Asian cultures for you. I'm going to look at the Chinese mythology, which is said to be very, very rich in stories about homosexuality, reflecting ancient Chinese perspective towards variance in sexuality and gender rather than modern views. Chinese myths and traditional folktales are greatly influenced by religious beliefs, particularly Taoist, Confucian, and Buddhist. Myths include instances of changing gender and sexual activity between members of the same sex or between humans and supernatural creatures that assume the form of the same sex. I'm not going to really go into very specifics here, but I do have a general overview I'd like to share with you. Homosexuality in Chinese myths or folktales may involve explicit physical contact, but may also be represented by a more, quote, profound emotions and feelings, unquote, making it difficult to unambiguously differentiate a homoerotic relationship from other social relationships, such as friendship or rivalry. Sexual activity in Chinese myth is often described metaphorically, for example, in military terms. This leads some readers to interpret scenes of combat figuratively as sexual metaphors. Popular folk stories are generally more explicit about same-sex romantic encounters than later literary retellings. Male and female homosexuality were considered to be unrelated in ancient China, and there are very few descriptions of lesbianism in traditional Chinese texts. Again, I'm not entirely sure why that is. It could be, again, due to males being more the centerpiece of stories, or it could have something to do with the purity of women and how they're childbearing and traditionally more of a caretaker than a sexual conqueror or something along those lines. The pre-Taoist, pre-Confucian tradition of China was predominantly shamanistic, with the majority of shamans being female. Male same-sex love was believed to have originated in the mythical South. Thus, numerous spirits or deities were associated with homosexuality, bisexuality, and transgenderism, including the Chowang, Lain, Kahi, and the Eight Immortals. Religious Taoism is generally considered to be polytheistic. Its many deities, although Unified by the idea and practice of Tao are often pictured as part of a heavenly hierarchy that mirrors the bureaucracy of imperial China. According to the beliefs of religious Taoism, Chinese deities may be promoted or demoted for their actions. Some deities are also simply exalted humans, such as Guan Yu, the god of honor and piety. The particular deities worship vary according to geographical regions and historical periods in China, though the general pattern of worship is more consistent. Sexual abstinence is seen as virtuous if it results from self-denial, allowing greater attention to spiritual or heroic matters. This is not the case if abstinence is the result of castration. Eunuchs in Chinese myths are usually portrayed as greedy, temperamental, and cowardly, with a similar lack of self-discipline as women. Now, the last one I want to touch on a little more in detail is something called Two-Spirit, which is a term coined by the indigenous North American peoples. I've always been fascinated by native culture. As you can see, a lot of my previous casts deal with a lot of native folklore and myths and legends. So when I found out that Two-Spirit was its own thing, I had to look into it a little bit deeper. Now, Two-Spirit is a modern 
pan-Indian umbrella term used by the indigenous North Americans to describe native people in their communities who fulfill a traditional third gender or other gender variant ceremonial roles in their culture. Now the term is a fairly new one and it was created in 1990 at the Indigenous Lesbian and Gay International Gathering in Winnipeg and specifically chosen to distinguish and distance Native American slash First Nation peoples from non-Native peoples. The primary purpose of coining a new term was to encourage the replacement of the outdated and considered offensive anthropological term, burdak. Now, while this term has not been universally accepted, it has been criticized by traditional communities who already have their own terms for people being grouped under this new term, and by those who reject what they call the Western binary implications, such as implying that natives believe these individuals are both male and female. It has generally received more acceptance and use than the anthropological term it replaced. Now, two-spirit is not interchangeable with the LGBT Native American or gay Indian, which seems a little offensive to me. Rather, it was intended, despite being in English, to carry on the traditional meanings of the terms in indigenous languages for the culturally specific ceremonial roles that are recognized and confirmed by the elders of the Two Spirits ceremonial community. Opinions vary as to whether or not this objective has succeeded. Often incorrectly used as a synonym for LGBT native, the term and identity of Two Spirit does not make sense unless it is contextualized within a Native American or First Nations framework and traditional cultural understanding. However, the gender non-conforming LGBT or third and fourth gender ceremonial roles traditionally embodied by Native American and FNIM people intended to be under the modern umbrella of two-spirit can vary widely even among the indigenous people who accept the English translation term. No one Native American or First Nations culture's gender or sexuality categories apply to all or even the majority of these cultures. As you can see, it is a somewhat controversial term. However, I did find the idea behind it very fascinating. It was different. The Native American culture is very vast and very deep and very much about spirituality. So it does make sense that somebody who would classify themselves or be classified as two-spirit makes sense. They aren't just who they are. They personify, they inhabit, and they take control of the ceremonial role within their very own communities. And it's a very unique situation as well. I can't think of another culture that would describe something as such. I mean, maybe I haven't looked into it far enough, but it does seem very unique and very personal to the Native American peoples. That's the last one I'm going to touch on today. Unfortunately, I don't have all the time in the world, and I don't want to drag out these casts too long. I don't want you to get bored. I want you to listen all the way through. There are other communities, there are other religions, and there are other cultures that celebrate the LGBT communities. There's themes going into Middle Eastern cultures, such as Hinduism, and we saw that Buddhism has a role to play in it as well. The fact of the matter is that being homosexual or attracted to members of the same sex or feeling not quite right in your own body but not knowing how to express it has been around for centuries. People have gone through records and dates and various folklore books 
and come across these LGBT scenarios and themes, it's not a new thing, and we shouldn't treat it as such. As I said at the beginning of this cast, the moral is always love whomever you want. Don't care what anybody else thinks, just do you, whatever that happens to be. So to everybody in the LGBTQ plus community, I want to thank you for your bravery in stepping forward and coming out and being you. I think we can all learn a little something about that. We all have these masks that we wear in public, and we have different people inside of us, so to speak, depending on who's around. I'm different around my family than I am around my friends. I think a lot of people are. I think I'm different around certain people, around certain friends, and I think that's something a lot of people can also relate to. Now, I hope none of this has come off as patronizing or condescending. I don't want to be a stereotype as a straight white male saying that, good job for you being you. That's not what I mean. I mean this in the most sincere way possible. I have a brother who is homosexual, and I'm proud of him for coming out. He didn't have to. He could have hid who he was. And I think a lot of people go through that every single day. So embrace who you are, embrace what you are, embrace how you feel, and just let the world go do whatever the hell it wants. You do you, you live you. So with that said, happy pride, take pride, be yourself. So until next week.